Before our guest launched his first non-alcoholic spirit, his mission was to make it easy to be a mindful drinker. Now, more than six years later, thanks to his hard work, it is definitely getting easier to be a mindful drinker. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. Morton Lee Sorensen gave up drinking alcohol for 100 days. He found that it wasn't difficult not drinking alcohol, but it was difficult finding good alternatives. At that moment, he decided he was going to create products that made it a whole lot easier to be a mindful drinker. And Ish was born. Now you can find Ish spirits and wines not only in some of the best restaurants in the world, but at your local and online. Today on Lush Life, we explore his journey from concept to 11 Madison Park. But before you get to meet Morton, I'm sure you know already that you can now watch this episode, plus all the other Lush Life episodes, as well as a whole lot more on YouTube. So check out the Lush Life YouTube channel. Just head to youtube.com slash at Lush Life Manual. That's youtube.com slash at Lush Life Manual. Now, here is Morton. It's really great to have you on the show. And I'm so excited. It was great to meet you in London. And I can't wait to hear more about Ish and how it came to be. So my name is Morton Sorensen. I'm the, the founder of Ish. And it was a pleasure to, to meet you as well, Susan. And, and thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm from Copenhagen, Denmark, originally. Yeah, and as the founder of Ish, I, I travel a lot around the world and, and, and promoting mindful drinking and, of course, the, the Ish brand. You said you grew up in Copenhagen. Did you spend your whole upbringing there or did you move anywhere else? I actually grew up in, in Spain from when I was five till I was 11 years old in the southern part of Spain. So I've been used to, to traveling since a young age. And then coming back as, a, as an early teenager to Copenhagen, that's where I, I grew up in those years. And, and since then, I lived in California. I lived in a little bit in, in Cape Town and, and just been traveling around the world. And having, well, being from Denmark and then growing up in Spain, what do you think you have from both of those countries? What do you think that you hold inside of you from those? I think the experience, first and foremost, of being in a foreign country, I think gives a lot of perspective. And the fact of being able to be, you know, be a, be a global citizen is something that I treasure a lot. And, and I enjoy the, the different cultures around the world. And funny thing is, one thing that I've, that I've learned since, since starting is, is that drinking is the, the common denominator. You know, the, the celebration of making a toast and, and cheers and, and so on is something we all treasure and something that makes us, us meet new people and, and enjoy new relationships. So, so there's a lot of common denominators. That's one of them. And, and growing up in a, in a different country, I, I feel like I have a good perspective. Uh-huh. So now, right before you started Ish, what were you doing and how did Ish come out of that? I grew up in the creative world of, of Copenhagen. As I was, when I was 17 years old, I started working in the creative industry. Started my own agency in the early 20s. That brought me to the U.S. in 2011 for about five years and then as a digital nomad from, from there on. In 2017, I decided I'm going to skip alcohol for 100 days because honestly, I felt like it was slowing me down a little bit. Like I mentioned earlier, 
traveling around, there's always a good reason to have a drink and to break bread, so to speak, with new people and, and old friends. And I, I felt like alcohol, the alcohol part was slowing me down, but the rest was awesome. So I wanted to take 100 days and say, what if, what if I don't drink alcohol? Can I be equally social? Can I be, you know, can be dating? Can I be, you know, meeting new people and, and all that? Because usually alcohol is, a, is, you know, something that surrounds around that. And I decided to skip the alcohol for 100 days and realize in that phase that it wasn't difficult not drinking alcohol, but it was quite difficult finding alternatives. So I always felt like I was a little bit the odd one out or was a little bit of a nuisance to the um, whatever venue we were at. I remember one time I was at a restaurant and everybody was drinking dark and stormies. And I love dark and stormies, but I wasn't consuming alcohol. So the waiters come back with an with a apple juice and, and, and ginger beer as a kind of a, a mocktail or whatever. And yeah, and I was like, Thanks for trying. I appreciate that. And of course, I drank it and it was fine. She didn't, she did the best she, she had to work with. And the problem was she, she didn't have a non alcoholic rum to put in there. So I, I, I decided I'm going to create a brand. I'm going to create products that makes it easy to be a mindful drinker. And that was the whole inception and the aha moment of Ish. I want to create a brand and a product that makes it easy to be a mindful drinker. And when you think about that, it's like we make it easy to be a mindful drinker. We know that especially now there's more and more people that have the desire and the wish. To actually lower alcohol a little bit, right? And if we ask the same people, do you want to work out more? Do we want to eat healthy and all that? A lot of people would say yes. Our job as a brand and as a product is to build that bridge from the good intention to action. If we can do that by being on the menu with our non-outs, by being on the shelves, by being at the birthday parties and the weddings, all those individuals that have the desire to lower a little bit, we make it easy for them to do so. And that's our contribution. No, I totally agree. I mean, I know that when I go out someplace, I don't always want to have two alcoholic cocktails in a row. Mm -hmm. Or if I do, I don't want to have a third. And it's great now to have an option because there are things like ish. Now, when you say after those or during those 100 days that this the ish idea came to you, you know, what did you were you in a place in your life where you thought I want to start a business and this is the business that I want to start? No, not at all. I had a business <laughs> that was doing well and was thriving. I, I was I was having the the best time of my life. I was traveling around the world. I was working on creative jobs and clients and just being a very free spirit, you know, in, in that regard and just doing my thing. So I had no intention of, of wanting to, to start a business, but working on so many brands in those many years, working on, on creating solutions for problems, designing that community, communicating it and all that. It was, a, it was somehow a natural step for me to just be like, I can, I can do this. I need obviously help on a lot of different parameters, but I can do this. So why don't I just go ahead and do it? So it felt natural to me to create a brand and a product because that was kind of in my DNA. I got it. Especially if you've been doing it since you're 17 years old, that's really young to start on your own and be successful. Yeah. Well, when I was 17, I, I was, most of my jobs was creating coffee for the, for the creatives ah. <laughs> for a little bit. So it wasn't until my early twenties that I started my own agency. Like around like 18, 19, 19, probably I was, I was an art director assistant and then at the agency. And then from there with a, with a good friend of mine, Erin, who was American, we started, she was in Copenhagen, a sweet creative, which was that design agency. And then we just rock and roll from, from there. So yeah, so, so it was natural for me to, to kind of extend into creating my own brand. And obviously you have an entrepreneurial spirit, that's for sure. So you have this idea and you're thinking about mindful drinking. You've done your hundred days. Had you, you know, tell me the first steps to creating Ish. What was your first idea and how did you make that happen? 
So I wanted to create spirits and I wanted to create spirits that could be mixed into cocktails. So the first two that we started with was a gin and a rum. And, and I wanted to create those because there was something to hold on to, so to speak. Like we couldn't create a vodka because there's not a lot of flavor in vodka. And that means that basically you don't have water. So when you have gin and a rum, there's a lot of flavors in there that we can use to recreate. So for example, in our, in our gin, we use juniper berries, coriander seeds, bitter orange. We use like the shells of the seeds of chilies to give it some, some spice and warmth that you kind of usually get from, from alcohol. So it kind of burns and warms a little bit. You take this and you have like a dry botanical liquid that also has some heat. So when you mix this with a, with a tonic, for example, you have a one-to-one gin tonic. It's just without alcohol. Our rum, for example, is created with dealkalized rum that we source from the Caribbean, from Martinique and, and Jamaica. Vanilla from the Sava region, a nutmeg from Indonesia. We use, again, the shells of the seeds of chilies, a baked apple. So I wanted to create something that, that was natural, something that tasted right. So you got to like a gin and a rum if, if, if you like them. Some people don't like gin and they won't enjoy our gin because it's a one-to-one analog. So making those, we, we, could, we could start with those. And I say we because I was a one-man band, but I got a lot of help from, from a lot of sources. And we created those first two liquids as an initial start. And I said to the, to, to the people that were helping me on the liquid side, I said, you know, we, I have three like pillars, three things that have to be right. If this, these are not right, we'll, we'll just kind of shut down the project. There's no harm, no foul. We, you know, I, I, I'm having other business. Fine. Like this is not end all be all. And those three things was it has to taste right. So that means authentic. So it has to be if you're, if you're mixing a, a, a drink and you're drinking, you're like, that this is a dark and stormy. Are you, is this without a, are you sure? You know, that was what I wanted on the taste. I wanted it to be natural ingredients all the way through. So all, everything made from plants and spices and fruits and so on. And then lastly, I wanted it to be satisfying. And that's what, what I was missing is I wanted to create a satisfying element because there was a few brands out there at that point. And, and I was missing the satisfying element of, of the satisfying part where you take a sip, it goes up in your brain and it tells you you're having a cocktail. And then the serotonin and the dopamine starts dancing and be like, this is what I'm used. This is this, you know, this is a placebo effect that I'm experiencing right now. That was a satisfying element that I wanted as well. So those three things to make sure that we had a liquid that we could be proud of and put out there is what we created. And, and then boom, went to market and, and then it was rock and roll from there. But that must have been the hardest part to get the satisfying, you know, to get the ingredients, you know, pretty easy. We can get mm-hmm. things from around the world. All of the other things, yeah. you know, natural, et cetera. How do you feel? I don't know if you want to give away trade secrets, but how do you <laughs> feel or just tell us how much you, as much as you can? How did you get that? Was it using natural ingredients? Was it, you know, something proprietary? You know, give us a clue into that. <laughs> so we're first, we're, we're very, of course, we're very open in, in how we, we do and create our products. We feel that it's our responsibility to tell the consumer what they're drinking and what they're enjoying. So. So we're very, very open with, with what we've, what we've do, done. And we can see that, that our techniques have been reused quite a bit in the category because it, it, it really gives a, a level up. So, so our little trade secret, so to speak, was not much of a secret, but is, is the shells of the seeds of chilies. So it's the active okay. ingredient in a chili. And, and if you take a chili and you take a bite off a chili, it's going to have some, some sweetness. It's going to have a little burn and, and it kind of keeps going. We didn't want that. So we wanted something where, where it actually goes in, creates warmth. And then disappears. And that's what alcohol does. Alcohol goes in. It gives a little bit of a burn. The funny thing is with alcohol is that it actually warms and cools at the same time. And so, so it's a very interesting molecule. 
it's only one molecule, which makes it really difficult to create an analog for. But we putting the, the shells of the cheese of, of chilies and distilling on those to create some warmth. And those warmth, it actually gives a little bit of a lift. So that together with the other ingredients that we use add a little bit of volatility. Volatility is important when you, when we speak alcohol, because what happens with alcohol is it evaporates. So imagine, you know, evaporation with a million molecules on it. You get this like whew, sensation where you can taste and carry all those flavors. We like, oh, there's, if it's wine, it's leather and forest floor and, you know, all, all these things that you taste because you're getting this evaporation. With non-alcohol, we don't have the evaporation, but we still need to create mouthfeel and lift and warmth and all of that. And the chili component is a big element in that to be able to create that. And then adding in, you know, different, yeah, all these botanical elements and so on, we're able to create this sensation of the alcohol when it, you know, understood by the brain. That's it. If you take our non-alcoholic rum and an alcoholic rum one-to-one, you're not going to be fooled. Like there's a big difference because they're, so they're not intended to be at need. But when you, if you mix a ginger beer in there, that, that, that kind of disappears. So that's the science behind it because with that having a full on cocktail, you get that like full cocktail experience and you get the rum flavor and the rum lift and the viscosity and, and so forth. So there's a little bit of science behind there, which also has been a big job for us is educating our consumers because we want to make sure that when you have the spirits, you mix them right. If you do that, is a one-to-one that you won't be able to tell the difference. It's incredible. Really, really incredible. And how long did it take you from your idea sitting there, I want a good dark and stormy, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. actually making the perfect dark and stormy, non-alcoholic dark and stormy that you were looking for? It took a little over a year. So it was like October 17, that kind of instigated the idea. And October, November 18, that was the first uh, trial run that we did on the, on the products and did like 5,000 of each bottles. And it was so exciting. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. And obviously did a lot of renditions prior to that. But, sure. but the real interesting thing is that we didn't stop there. So obviously we added more products to the portfolio, but also the gin and the rum kept, we kept reiterating it. So when we put it out, we would get, you know, we would get good comments and we'll get bad comments. So we'll, we'll take all those back and we'll be like, okay, how, what can we do better? We could get more mouth, more juniper, more this, more that. So we just kept getting that. And right now we're, we just launched our, our third generation of our gin and our rum. So, so we keep, and there'll be a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. And the goal is to get to a point where you can have a sip of our, of our NA rum and, and a Diplomatico. And you're kind of like, I'm not sure which one is alcohol free. That's the goal. I, so we, you know, we, we really reach for the stars on that one. But, and maybe we'll hit the moon, but, but it's a good, it's a good goal to have. And that's why we keep thriving to, to just up the liquid and, and make it better, better, better. I think you've just created a new category of vintage non-alcoholic spirits, <laughs> right? And soon people will be asking. Yes, there's a collector items already. I know people will be asking for, <laughs> can I have that 2017-ish, please, dark and stormy? And that can go yes. for 200 quid on a, on a menu. I love it. <laughs> it's on my shelf at the office. I saved the first two bottles. Of the, the rum and the gin. So they're in my, in the office, the headquarters in Mark, and, uh, and they're still standing there nice and ready, uh, as a little, uh, reminder. Well, I'm sure you should keep every first mm-hmm. bottle of every iteration and then one day have a big party yeah. and be like, okay, these are the yes. 10. We're stopping here, you know, or the hundred yes. or the moon, right? <laughs> now, after, so you, you had those and was it when you took them to market, were people like, oh, yes, this is great, exactly what we're looking for? Or did you have a really, or did you have a hard time trying to sell people on the non-alcoholic? There was people that were, wow, non-alcoholic gin. I need to try this. This is amazing. 
you know, give it to me, like, let's try and, and trying it. And then there was people that'll be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And like almost got mad at me. So I, I've, I've tried the full spectrum and it was quite interesting. I saw it very much as almost like an anthropology study um, because it was interesting to see different audiences, uh, kind of see female versus male, age groups and so on. And it was very evident that the female audience, early 30s, late 20s, that was, they were very intrigued. But men in their 60s were like, no, don't mess with my alcohol kind of thing. And I was like, okay, okay. But a lot has changed over the years. It's, it's incredible. Like the involvement uh, of, of the category and, and the evolution, that it's very, very rare that I'll hear anybody be like, like maybe they'll be funny, you know, that's fine. But it's, it's like over the last like four years, it's been so uh, destigmatized. Uh, people understand and people want to try. People are curious. And, and I think it's, it's the power of volume. It's the power of that there's so many great non-alcoholic brands out there now that are doing all kinds of like functional or analogs like we're doing or their own liquids and beer especially has paved the, the road quite a bit and and it's it's amazing now anywhere basically in the world that i travel be like oh yeah there's more and more non-alcoholic definitely want to try and then they try and you know so it's a lot has happened over those four years when they, initially there was crossed arms there was people that you know, thought it was weird. And what was the point? And, you know, when we drink, we want to get drunk. So what's the point? It wasn't until we started educating on, there's actually something called inclusivity. So we still want to do all that. But maybe you are having a wedding. Maybe you have guests that are pregnant, that are driving, that are just not drinking alcohol. And the more that kind of became, oh, actually, that makes sense. I do want to be a good host. Maybe I should get a you know a couple of bottles of alcohol-free bubbly for the wedding or whatever, because I can, you know, I'm a good host then. You know, so there was all kinds of different reasons why people accepted the, the category and, and the fact that then when they try it and they get a good experience, that's the real acceptance. And that's what we're seeing. That's how we're able to grow our business to the, the way that we're doing about being more of a, a global business is, is through the flavors. That's how we get judged. That's how we get uh, accepted. And, uh, and that's our way in to any retailer, to any bar menu and so forth. That's the best we can do for the categories, creating amazing liquids. Yeah, two things off of that. I think that any bar now, anywhere in the world, is remiss if they do not have a large selection mm -hmm. of non-alcoholic cocktails for their guests. And also, I mean by creating special cocktails with this wonderful liquid that people mm -hmm. are, are producing. And also... Yeah. You know, people who don't drink, they don't just want an orange juice or a Coke or a soda. And this gives them mm -hmm. a whole new range of everything. So you have these, you had yeah. the wonderful, the rum, the gin. What was your next venture into? So then we added on wines. So we wanted to create um, a, a, a range of, of non-alcoholic wines that that suited that that occasion. And And again, our mission is to make it easy to be a mindful drinker. That's what we work for every day. So we needed enough range uh, and, and at a high level liquid to be able to really suit any, any occasion. And they're wonderful. They work as a, as a great non-alcohol, like a great sparkling wine, a, a sparkling white, sparkling rosé. And they're just a, a crowd pleaser. We have a very good return customer rate on that on our online site. About 80% of people come back for the wines every time they order wines. It tastes really good. We found a technique to, to be able to de-alcoholize very gently. So instead of, of cooking off the alcohol or burning off the alcohol, which can kind of make the, 
the grapes a little jammy because you got to add a lot of sugar to bring back flavor and and again that viscosity and and mouthfeel. So here we we didn't have to do that because we use really good grapes like Pinot Blanc and Silvana grapes and uh, Pinot Noir and Merlot grapes in the rosé. So we were able to use high end grapes, fully ferment the grapes, get all the flavor out of the grapes, then dealkalize it very gently with low temperatures to get it down to zero percent, and then basically we've removed the one molecule of ethanol. That's what we do. And by doing that, we, uh, we're left with a really good tasting wine that then when you add in the carbonation, you bring in that volatility part that we talked about before. So then now you have all the f- great flavors of the grapes. You add volatility through the carbonation, which is um, it's not like a soft drink carbonation. It's more of a foamy carbonation. So it's very fine bubble. So when you, when you pour a glass of champagne, you get like the nice foam and then you drink it and it kind of foams up a little bit. That's what we're able to, to recreate in our sparklings. And, and it just, yeah, it's just the crowd pleaser and it, it works really, really well. And did you find that was a more difficult process than doing the spirits or easier? Actually easier, to be honest, because we, we're not creating a recipe here. We're actually just using the grapes. And then as long as we get the right deacalization, uh, and it's not that deacalization is not ours. It's not a proprietary process that we own by any means. But the, the carbonation was really important. So we had a lot of involvement in that. And, and then doing you know, those combinations, working with some really excellent partners on that made it happen. So that was actually the more easier. What's very difficult is the still wines that we're working on now because there we're missing the volatility from the carbonation. So those we're working very hard on. And we've been working for about almost two years now on a still white wine that we launched in Europe, uh, like 5,000 bottles, all just online, basically out to our uh, audience online. And, and now receiving feedback on that. And then the second generation of that will be an elevated version of the first one. But here we're doing a lot of science. We're doing a lot of things like kind of like combinating the, uh, the sparkling wines with the deorganization and the grapes and doing all that. But some of the techniques from the spirits by adding in a, a recipe of like oak wood and Mirabelle and kind of different stuff that, that lifts it and gives it again, mouthfeel and lift. So. That's, that's kind of the science that we're working on right now. So that's the big challenge is still wines and to create a good wine experience there. From a creative to a scientist, you've become, you realize. Unfortunately, we have a full, a full in-house team that, that helps on the science part. And I'm not the only one. So I'm, I'm privileged. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure, you, I'm sure a lot of it is you. It wouldn't even <laughs> exist if it weren't for you. Now, did you do them together, both the rosé and the, the white together? They came out the same time? Yes. Yes, they came out at the same time. And, and what we're doing right now, we're going through a little shift in our design label. Because is it still called Chateau de Lish? Still called Chateau de Lish. We just wanted to kind of give it a little bit of a lift and make it a little bit more fancy uh, in its design. I love that name. It's a great name. Thank you. That was, that was, I'll take credit for that one. In my head, it was like, it's kind of short for Chateau Delicious. And I thought that was kind of funny and, of course. you know, trying to be, be funny. It's, but uh, I don't know how many picked up on it, but. Yeah, that, I enjoy that very much. And it goes back to my roots. Like, I love the creation process of a new product, of a new design, of a new label, and, and just going through that whole process of testing and adjusting and, and then putting it out, which is always exciting because it's going to be received in some way. And that's how we do, like, limited launches, and then we'll get feedback, and then we'll make it even better. Because, again, our goal is to reach as many people as possible and make it easy to be a mindful drinker. So it's not about what we like and, and how we want to do it is about what the, what the masses want and, uh, and, and try to create the best experiences for them. 
uh, as we possibly can. Which you obviously are doing because I do know that you are in some of the best restaurants in the world. <laughs> so do give us a little taste of how you got into <laughs> some of them and what the restaurants are. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> the, one of the ones, so I'm in the U.S. Our first account in the U.S. was actually 11 Madison Park. And uh, a three-star Michelin restaurant. Crazy. You know, one of the best restaurants mm -hmm. in the yes, world. Yes, exactly. So they contacted us, basically. And, and I think because we're one of the first movers in this category, there were brands before us when we started. But we were one of the, of the first kind of old schoolers, OGs of, of the category. So I think what they did uh, is that they just kind of looked at the, at the few handful of brands that were around at that time. And then they, uh, and then they did samplings. And then they just tried. So we did a we did an online sampling with them because we were in Copenhagen uh, with the team there. They tried it out and 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 they enjoyed it and uh, and they tried a bunch of stuff I presume and then they decided to put us on the menu, which was interesting because we were in Denmark, they were in New York, and they're like, I think it was on a Tuesday, and they're so we needed on the menu by Friday. Uh, can you ship us some cases? And we we're like, of course. And then it was oh, yeah. getting the supply chain and making sure we get it over US overnighted with a lane and 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 so on which which succeeded and we've been on the menu ever since and we've been there for a couple of years i think so that's one of them another one is a great one is in copenhagen called alchemist which is a two michelin star restaurant very very amazing experience if anybody has the the chance to go to copenhagen and, and get a reservation at alchemist it's it's incredible you have 50 experiences at the restaurant one of them is our is our non-alcoholic tequila Made as a as kind of as a pandang uh, margarita cocktail, and uh, and they put that on the menu. They're very they're very very innovative in the way that they do things. Um, so we're very proud to be there, and and we love having that access acceptance from the category uh, and the, and the industry. It means a lot to us. But to be honest with you, we our our main audience is actually way more broad. Uh, so it's great to be there. But, um, but it's really, really nice for us if we can, when we go out wider, because we know more people will, will make it easier, again, for more people to enjoy uh, non-alcoholic beverages. Right. And not everyone is lucky enough to be able to go to one Correct. of those restaurants and you want it to be yes. in everyone's house. Now, you subtly brought up your mm -hmm. tequila. So when did you decide to go back into so, spirits and then do a tequila? Yeah, we did it. Uh, so, so we were seeing really good momentum in the U.S. Uh, we've been seeing that over the last couple of years. And we, wanted, we know that tequila in the U.S., I think it, it's, it's the second largest spirit now. Just, I think it just uh, surpassed whiskey, actually, if I'm not mistaken. But it was number three for a long time. I think it's actually number two now after vodka. It, it's It's... Growing quite you know so much in the U.S. with tequila, so we thought we need to make a good non-alcoholic tequila because there's a lot of tequila drinkers out there, obviously, uh, and we're seeing the tequila trends in the rest of the of the markets that we're in. So we're like, we have to create a good non-alcoholic tequila. If we don't, then what are mindful drinkers going to do if they want margaritas and palomas, right? So uh, so we decided right. to do that, and then we launched it May 2022. In New York, uh, we did a big event at Soho House in New York, uh, in Dumbo. We did a, a, a great event with uh, Boisson, which is a, a phenomenal non-alcoholic uh, store in the U.S. They have about 10 locations now, uh, East and West Coast, and growing a great partner of ours. So we partnered with them to launch it in the West Village of New York, on the street, just serving margaritas, which 
you don't see very often because obviously you're not allowed to drink alcohol on the street. So we were basically just there, you know, music and bartenders and having a block party, but non-alcoholic. So we didn't need any brown paper bags or anything. Cops were fine. <laughs> so we weren't breaking any law. We we're just having a party on, on uh, of course, Cinco de Mayo in 2022. <laughs> that's, that's fabulous. Now, there's one other thing, which are your canned cocktails. Yes. So... There's a daiquiri, a mojito, mm -hmm. a gin and tonic, mm -hmm. and a spritz. Yes. When did you start those? And then tell me about the spritz, because the other ones, you know, you mm -hmm. already had the gin and you already the gin ish mm -hmm. and the um and the rum, yeah. And the rum. Yep. The cans came kind of they've been kind of dropping throughout the years. And uh and we started with them right after the wines and launched those. And and the main reason why we did that was to create a a lower price point product, make it easier, accessible, more accessible for consumers to kind of dabble into trying a non-alcoholic cocktail. So, and then the idea was try this and enjoy that. And then, you know, if you want to create your own cocktail, then there's the spirit. So it's kind of segue into that. And again, enough of a portfolio to, to kind of open up uh, any occasion really. So these are perfect for, you know, parties on the, on the rooftop or at the beach or the park or whatever, where it's maybe a little inconvenient to bring a bottle of rum so that was the whole idea and the spritz especially that was one that we we started with initially and everybody that loves an italian spritz is going to love the spritz we did a uh, one thing that we're very proud of with it is that we uh, submitted it to a award show called the great taste awards in in the uk and about fourteen thousand products submit every year to the great taste awards and this is everything there's nothing to do with alcohol no no this is everything from cupcakes to ham to whatnot uh, that is submitted into the Great Taste Awards. And about 1.5% of the 14,000 products receive a three-star rating. And Spritzes received a three-star rating. So we're incredibly excited about that. We've won over 40 international taste awards uh, throughout the years. But this one especially we're incredibly proud of because it, it's, just, it's all about the taste. So people, the, the judges get presented, this is a non-alcoholic spritz, you know, try it. And it was just knocked it out of the park. So, so that was quite, a, quite exciting. And again, made from, from natural ingredients, gentia root, quassia bark, a little bit of creamy for the bitterness side. Then we use Italian citrus, tangerines, lemons, oranges to create that kind of freshness from the, from the citrus and of course source from, from Italy. And all that put together, we get like a complex herbaceousness with some freshness. So it's just a perfect summer drink. That in a big balloon glass with ice and, and an orange slice and, and you're going to have a, you know, you can drink spritz all day. Oh, I know. I've had one. It is fantastic. Thank you. And you would never know. Well, you're going to be excited, <laughs> Susan, because we're bringing back our, our big bottle of the spritz. So we did that, I think, a year ago, last summer or something. We, we did uh, the year before. I can't remember. Yeah, it was the year before last summer because then we put that out. The spritz is in a 75 CL bottle. And, uh, and it was just a hit over the summer. And we're like, that's great. And we had, the intention was to keep it all year. And then the, the next year we didn't, we didn't do it for, for the summer because it kind of, you know, we we're kind of like, well, you know, we have the cans and stuff and we're producing new products. So we didn't really do our, our homework and our data well enough to be honest. So we kind of took it off. We're like, well, oh, nobody's going to miss that. And then we just got completely swamped. We're like, where is the spritz? You know, and we're like, we have the can. We're like, we want the big bottle that we can, you know, so we're bringing it back this summer, but we're doing it as a limited edition. So we're going to do that every summer. We bring in like limited edition, big bottle cocktail. So we'll make sure to get some over for you, Susan. Are you sure you didn't do that on purpose <laughs> to create demand? <laughs> well, huh? I've been, 
Well, <laughs> well, my background is marketing, but I'm not. <laughs> well, I know I can't wait for it. Yes. So you have all of these things. Mm -hmm. Should I even dare to ask what's next? Oh yeah, I'm so glad you asked. So besides the uh, the still wines that we're that we're continuing to work on, where our goal is to create a, an amazing red, it's something that's that's missing in the category. There are reds out there, and and they're they're doing our thing. We we feel that we can bring out a red that. The consumers are, are are missing right now, and and really hitting on that volume and and volatility and satisfying elements. So that's kind of our speciality. So we we feel like we have some responsibility in bringing out a really good red for for the category. So so that's a that's a focus point for us. It might never we might never be able to do it. So if you never see it, it's because we just haven't nailed it. But once you see it, you know we've we've nailed it. Um, so that's next, and then we're working on a bourbon. For our spirits, bourbon is, is lacking in our portfolio, and and we're setting the bar very high on that. Uh, we're we want to create a bourbon that you can enjoy neat. So uh, again, our our spirits today are designed to be mixed into cocktails. So we want to create a bourbon. So I don't want to create a bourbon that can only be mixed into a cocktail because I feel that's too limiting, and 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 I honestly I don't think it'll create enough volume for us. So uh, so we want to create a bourbon that you can enjoy neat. So imagine just coming home, you love your bourbon, you love the volume and the texture and the, and, and the flavors of a, of a bourbon where you just have like a little, a little bit, you come home, you, you know, nice little, uh, low ball glass and a, and a big, uh, rock of ice. And you just pour this on top and you just sip it and you get this like sensation and fill and, and all of that. That is the goal. And we hope to have it ready by the end of this year. And so when it starts getting, gets a little cold uh, again this year, you know, towards the fall and so on, we hope to have that ready, but it's a tall order and it, it's a very difficult one to, to create. And then we'll probably add in a few, uh, sure. a few pre-mixed cocktails on the cans, like a margarita and, you know, something like that. We don't, that, that's kind of it for us. We, we don't want 40 new SKUs. We want to do that. So we haven't, you know, the wines sparkling and still enough on the, on the spirits to create enough cocktails and a handful of, of pre-mixed cocktails. And then what we're going to do from there is just basically continue to just develop on those and just keep elevating them uh, constantly rather than putting in, you know, another 10 SKUs where it starts getting way too niche. Um, that's, so that's kind of our, our target and our, and our strategy. Well, it sounds really exciting. Mm -hmm. And um, as a bourbon drinker myself, I can't wait to try that. Yes. But I, I want to know, when is that dark and stormy going to come, yeah. come out? <laughs> so, we, right? yes. The first thing. I know. I know. Uh, and it probably will, will eventually. Maybe it'll be kind of like the, the last skew that we ever make just to create that like full circle moment. It's on the list for sure. So uh, I'll promise you'll be the first to know. Of course, because <laughs> it wouldn't be right if you didn't. That was the first thing that yes. set you going on this whole journey. Yes. And even if we only created one can of those, you know, that's, exactly. that's all we need. Even for you to have at home. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, this has been great. Now, you know, I always leave my guests asking two questions. Mm -hmm. The what first one is... Uh, if you could give any tip for the home bartender, mm -hmm. you know, what would that be? Bitters. That was a, like bitters is the salt and pepper for cocktails. You know, in any really cocktail that not any, but you know, a lot of cocktails that you make, especially as a home bartender, one thing is being a skilled mixologist, but being a home bartender and just kind of upping that lift, the little secret is, is bitters and you can get a ton of bitters. Uh, and, and as a mindful drinker, you can get, you can get non-alcoholic bitters. You can get bitters with alcohol. Uh, you can get CBD bitters if that's your your jam. There's a great brand called Otto uh, out of the UK that we that we worked with before. We created a 
at CP Daggerish, for example, uh, together with them, with a few of their bidders. So, so there's a bunch of different bidders and a lot of different, you can go from peach to orange to whatever. And using those in your cocktails will just be that little secret of like duke duke. And then people kind of get that extra, extra element. And because you only few, use a few dashes, even if you use it in a non-alcoholic cocktail, the alcohol content of the, of the cocktail will not surpass 0.5, which in total is the limit for non-alcoholic. So that would be my uh, definitely recommendation for the home bartender. Oh, that's really good to know, especially mm-hmm. about the alcohol. Um, yes. The alcohol that goes mm-hmm. into the bitters. Yeah. Now, and last is, if you could be anywhere drinking anything, where would that be? And what would you be drinking? I would be, it's a good question. I would be, I would be the top of Kilimanjaro. And the reason why is that I recently got married. We actually did a little, we eloped to Vegas two and a half, two and a half months ago. Uh, actually, exactly two months ago now. We, we eloped, we got married in, in Vegas and, uh, and, and, and we, you know, made it official and, and we had such a great flu in some friends and family and we just had a, a wonderful time. And, uh, and, and we have, we still have plans of doing a big party in Copenhagen one time, uh, probably in 24. But our, uh, our honeymoon, we want to go to, uh, and, and, um, go to the top of Kilimanjaro. So that's part of our honeymoon. So, so that's kind of, that's, that's always like such a Northern star for me to, to, to come to the top of, uh, of Kilimanjaro, have a drink with my wife and, uh, and, and, and have that feeling of, of really reaching and accomplishing a goal. Uh, and of course, it would have to be a dark and stormy. Of course, of course. Or I was going to say one of your warm bourbon cocktails, bourbon-ish cocktails, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. We'll be ready for it by that time, exactly. So uh, exactly. maybe we'll do like a little, uh, little mix, we'll do like a new cocktail recipe on a dark and stormy. <laughs> exactly, called the Kilimanjaro. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to write that uh, down. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it has been such a joy to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, great that you could join me from very, very sunny California, and it is freezing cold here. So hopefully we'll see you in London soon. And yeah. Again, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you in London. Sounds good. Thank you for having me, Susan. Take care. I want to thank Morton for being on the program. Also, a huge thank you to Ish for sponsoring the transcription for the hearing impaired. For our cocktail of the week, we're making something delish. Our cocktail of the week is the Mindful Margarita. Here you have it two ways, one without any alcohol and one with a splash. For the alcohol-free version, add the following to a shaker. 60 mils of ish Mexican agave spirit, 30 mils of lime juice, 30 mils of orange juice, and 20 mils of simple syrup. Add ice and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain it into a cocktail glass. If you want to add a little alcohol to the cocktail, replace the 30 mils of orange juice with 20 mils of Cointreau. And voila! If you don't want to make it yourself at all, then head to TT Liquor in London, where it's on the menu. You'll find this recipe more alcohol-free and low-alcohol cocktail recipes and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find most of the ingredients in our shop. We're seeing how twice a week for the podcast goes. Give a shout out and let me know. 
If you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants and show them some loving. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. On the next show, we'll be heading back to Speyside to learn what malting season is. Until that time, bottoms up. Thank you.